Bible, will you take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter 2 will be in 23, 24, and 25. So this is our last message in our 1 Peter 2 series entitled, Our Family Tree. I certainly do hope and I pray that school is going well for students and families and teachers. I hope it's going well. I spoke with one of our parents the other day about her kindergartner who started first day of kindergarten, and she asked him how it went, and this is what he said. He said, I can't read, I can't write, they won't let me talk, so what's the use? <laughs> Little guy had a pretty rough day, and he's got a lot of days of school left to face. Robert Fulgham wrote a book 30 years ago, that ought to make some of you feel really young, <laughs> called All I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And in it, he wrote most of what I already need to know about how to live, what to do, how to be. I learned in kindergarten. Wisdom was not at the top of the graduate school mountain, but in the sandbox in nursery school. These are the things I learned in kindergarten. Here we go. Ready? Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. <laughs> be kind to people. We could say today, don't at people on social media unkindly. Uh, put things back where you found them. Clean up your own mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands. Well, isn't that prophetic for COVID-19's 2020? He went on to say this. Uh, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Uh, take a nap every afternoon. Thank you. <laughs> There's no way... I said, look, if I say take a nap every afternoon and I don't get a hundred amen, something's wrong. Take a nap every afternoon. Amen. amen. Yes. When you go out in the world, watch out for traffic. When you go out in the world, stick together. Beware of wonder. He's, you know, uh, wonder. What happened? I wonder what happened to wonder. Not, not wandering off, and we all wandered off in kindergarten, but wonder. You know, look around and see all God's creation just being awe and amazement and wonder. What happened to wonder? So he says, be aware of wonder. How about this one? Remember the little seed in the styrofoam cup? The roots go down, the plant goes up. Nobody really knows how or why, but we're all like that. Goldfish, not the crackers, but goldfish, hamsters, white mice, and a little seed in the styrofoam cup, they all die, and so do we. Take any of those items and extrapolate it into sophisticated adult terms and apply it to your family, to your work, to government, to your world, and they still hold true, they hold clear, they hold firm. He goes on to say, think about what a better world it would be if all of us, the whole world, had cookies and milk about 3 o'clock every afternoon and then lay down with our blankets for a nap. Or if all governments had a basic policy to always put things back where they found them and clean up their own mess. No matter how old you are, it's best to stick together, In quote. So, hey, a lot of what he said, I mean, the writer kind of captured a part of what Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like little children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, if you've learned your one, two, threes and ABCs and your ABCs and your one, two, threes like in kindergarten on earth, then you are capable of learning what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven and telling somebody else what it takes to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so today, I want to speak to you on a very simple subject, the ABCs of our family tree. Last message in this series, I'm going to give you the basic tenets 
of our family tree, just the ABCs of our family tree. And there's four of them we'll get to in a moment, but first I want to read the text. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23, verse 24, verse 25. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, we do pray for the preaching and teaching of your word today. We pray for the hearing of it. We pray for the receiving of your word. We pray for the response to your word. We pray that we will leave here not only being hearers of the gospel and of your word, but being doers of it as well. Holy Spirit, would you have your way in our hearts and in our lives as we unpack this text today, we ask it in Jesus' name, and everybody said. So these four ABCs of our family tree, the first one is simply this, the lost can be saved. That's good to know, that the lost can be saved. I mean, isn't that what our message really is? <laughs> that yes, Jesus saves, but guess what? Because Jesus is the only Savior, that means lost people can actually be saved. That they don't have to stay lost. That they can be saved. And here's how. The lost can be saved because Jesus, the Lord, did not save himself from the cross. Do you remember the, the thieves on the cross? You can read about this in Luke chapter 23. Do you remember the, the, the thief on the cross? And he's like the other, like the crowd, he's, he's yelling, If you're the Son of God, save yourself and us. Well, aren't you so grateful that Jesus didn't save himself from the cross? And because he didn't, the lost can now be saved. And Peter captures what happened, that miracle that took place on Calvary's hill. Peter captures it right here in verse 23. Notice what he says when he was reviled, when he was abused, when Jesus was insulted, when he was cursed, when he was attacked, when he was slandered, when he was scoffed at, when he was tortured and crucified, meaning that Jesus was chided by the chief priest, he was put down by Pilate, he was humiliated by Herod, he was insulted by his insulters, he was attacked by his attackers, and all the while, with all this going on to the Lord Jesus, the Bible says, Peter says, he did not retaliate. That's what Peter said. He did not retaliate. He did not insult his ins insulters. He did not humiliate the ones who were humiliating him. He did not fight back. He did not attack those who were attacking him. He did not retaliate. He didn't. And because of that, the lost can be saved. Because Jesus did not, first of all, misuse his tongue. He didn't misuse his tongue on the cross. Isaiah says he opened not his mouth. He didn't defend himself. 
Although he was wrongfully accused and sinfully sentenced. He didn't didn't defend himself. He didn't call down fire from heaven. He didn't call the angels to come get him. He didn't misuse his tongue. Second of all, he didn't lose his temper. That's what it says here. When it says, when he suffered in verse 23, he did not threaten. That means he didn't lose his temper. Have you ever lost your temper? Anybody ever lose your temper? One reason we're going to heaven is Jesus did not lose his temper. My heavens. Can you imagine? One who knew no sin became sin for us. And they spit on him and slapped him and took a crown of thorns and just jammed it down on his skull. Beat him unmercifully. Unrecognizable was Jesus on the cross, yet he defended himself not. Did not retaliate. Did not attack back. He did not lose his temper. He did not loose his tongue he did not fight back and because of that the lost can be saved because Jesus was bruised on the tree because he pursues the lost the lost can be saved they can be set free here's what we need to know that first Peter 2 23 verifies for us confirms for us it's ironclad proof that what Jesus said Jesus did no other human being who's ever walked planet earth and who's ever breathed breath have always done what they say they were going to do. Nobody. Nobody has ever kept his or her word their whole life. Nobody. Except for this one named Jesus, 100% God, 100% man, kept his word. And I'm going to prove it to you. So I want you to take your Bibles and go left. Go left all the way over to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. Matthew 5, Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He gets to verse 38, and he begins to address the issue of retaliation. Matthew 5, verse 38 through verse 42. Here's Jesus' teaching about retaliation in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 38 through verse 42. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 1 Peter 2.23 is undeniable proof that Jesus... His walk, the way he lived, matched his talk. That he followed through with what he taught his disciples to do. One has said it this way. Your walk talks. The way you live talks. It speaks loud. Your walk talks. And your talk talks. But your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In other words, the way you live your life speaks louder than the way you say you are living your life. Right? So did Jesus, did he live his life? Did Jesus' walk match his talk? Did he live in a manner worthy of the gospel? Or did he live in a manner unworthy of the gospel? Did he follow his own teachings or did he not? Did he live in such a way that all of us have played the blame game? All of us have blamed us being caught or our sin on being set up by somebody whether it be an owner of a hair salon or not. We've all done that. We've all played the blame game. 
The only one who's never played that game is Jesus. Because he never had to. Because he simply let his yes be yes and his no be no. He simply lived the way he spoke. And he spoke the way he lived. Period. In other words, that's good news for us because that means you can trust him. And I can trust him. And we can trust him. For he lived out what he said he was going to do. He constantly told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Peter would rebuke him and he'd say, get behind me, Satan, I'm going to Jerusalem. He constantly followed through with his word. And in 1 Peter 3, 9, it doesn't get much easier for us. It says in 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or rivaling for rivaling. So apparently he wants us to live the same way. Well, I can't live that way, nor can I. That's why Jesus lived that way for us. So we wouldn't have to live that way. We can rely on him and through him we can live that way. So an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Let me, let, let me translate that into 2020. Social media post for social media post. Somebody rips you on social media, what is your default? You're going to rip them on social media. That's our go-to. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We retaliate. That's what we do in our flesh. That's who we are in our flesh. But the gospel says, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's a different way to live. Jesus lived a different way. Just because a thought enters your mind doesn't mean it has to exit your mouth, right? Just because something's plastered all over secular media doesn't mean it has to be plastered all over your social media. In fact, we ought to be, as Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, right? So when you tweet and post, go into your room, not on Zoom for everybody to see, but go into your room and your father who sees what is tweeted and posted in secret, he will reward you, right? So there's a different way to live. And Jesus is giving us, uh, he's showing us how to live that way. Through his suffering on the cross. He can empathize with you in your suffering. And so he calls us to be holy for he is holy. He calls us not to repay evil for evil or rivaling for rivaling. Isaiah said it this way. A sheep before her shears is silent. So it was the Messiah He opened not his mouth. Do you know how much I enjoy opening my mouth to chew food? Man, I love eating food. I love it so much. Whenever we go to a Japanese-style restaurant where they cook the food in front of you, I laugh at those jokes like I've heard them for the very first time. I've heard them a thousand times. They hadn't changed in 30 years. And I laugh like I've heard them for the first time because I'm so excited just to eat. Man, I get excited about chewing food, right? Some of us, sadly, get excited about chewing each other out. Don't get excited about that. Jesus opened not his mouth so that we could open our mouth and tell people that they can be saved, that this is actually true, and they can trust Jesus, and he loves them, and he died for them, and he has a purpose and plan and future for them. So how do we keep from retaliating? Isn't it just so easy to hit send? Isn't it so easy just to hit post or send or... So how do we not do that? Verse 23. Look at the last part of verse 23. Here's how Jesus was able to not misuse his tongue. Look at it. And I love this because this gives us hope. Right? It says maybe through Christ we can do this too. I think it says through Christ I can do all things. Maybe even not losing our temper and misusing our tongue. I know none of us are perfect. But here's how we can fight back from not fighting back. Look at the end of verse 23.
but continued, Jesus continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. See, here's the message from the world. The message from our world in 2020, in any generation, the message from our culture is this. The message from the world is this. Claim your rights. You have rights, you claim them. Now, the message of the gospel is the opposite. (laughs) The message of the gospel is don't claim your rights first. Think of others first. That's counter. That's opposite. So how was Jesus able to do that? He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Jesus entrusted himself to the Father who judges justly. Sometimes we need to keep our mouth shut, and sometimes we need to open our mouth. How do we know when to do what? We entrust ourselves to him who judges justly. Sometimes, As a believer, let me ask you this question. Sometimes we use our tongue in a way that communicates the wrong message. If you claim to be a follower of Christ and you live in constant fear, what message are you sending to those unbelievers who are watching your life? What message are you sending if you're constantly living in a woe is me frame of mind? They'll look at you and say, well, why would I want to be a follower of Christ if you're no different than me? Why would I want to be a follower of Christ? It doesn't seem like you believe what you say you believe. Is the way you conduct yourselves, is the way you're using your tongue, is the way you're living your life, is it in such a way that communicates to those in your circle of influence that you actually believe the gospel of Jesus? Is it, is it communicating to them that the lost can be saved? Is it communicating the gospel? So I want to help you. Here's four phrases. I want you to write these down. They're not anywhere on your notes. You won't find them anywhere. Here's four little phrases that will help you entrust yourself to him who judges justly. How can I day by day by day by day entrust myself to him who judges justly? Well, here's a start. Here's four little phrases. Here's the first phrase. It's not about me. Write that down somewhere. It's not about me. Second phrase. It's not about now. It's not about me. It's not about now. Third phrase, it's all about God. It's all about God. It's all about God. Fourth phrase, it's all about eternity. It's all about eternity. Four little phrases. It's not about me. It's not about now. It's all about God. It's all about eternity. And if you'll repeat those to yourselves daily... Maybe that'll help you begin to entrust yourself on a day-to-day. I know if you're a believer, you've trusted in Christ. I know that. But in a time of suffering, when retaliation from the world's perspective is legit and valid and justified from the world's eyes, how can you refrain from retaliating? Well, Maybe this will help you. Just repeat these phrases. It's not about me. It's not about now. It's all about God. It's all about eternity. Church, let it not be lost on us that the lost can be saved. And we need to live in such a way that communicates that to them. We need to live in such a way that communicates, yes, the lost can be saved. And also, hey, the lost should want to be saved. Like you should want to be saved. But if we live as a believer defeated all the time and in fear all the time, and what is that communicating? We need to live in such a way it communicates, hey, you can be saved if you're lost. And you ought to want to be saved if you're lost. So the laws can be saved. If you're listening today and this is the first time you've ever heard that Jesus suffered the way he did on the cross 
and you're wondering why he would do that. Why would Jesus die? I was reading the other day an article uh, that people, a lot of people know that Jesus died. They have no idea why he died. Why did he die? Well, he died to save us from our sin. He also died to satisfy God's wrath and judgment against our sin. That's why he died. Because there's a penalty to pay for sin. And Jesus has paid it. You don't have to pay it. You don't have to. And you put your faith and trust in him and he'll forgive you of your sin. So if you want to have a conversation about that, text the name Jesus to 79969. Whether you're in the room or not in the room, you can text Jesus, the name Jesus, to 79969. We'd love to have a conversation with you about how you can be forgiven and spiritually healed forever. So let us know. Here's the second ABC, basic tenet of our family tree. Number two, the saved cannot be lost. Now, if you're saved, you ought to stand up, run around. Well, no, don't do that. But you ought to shout or something, right? The saved can't be lost. Isn't that good news? Church, we can't be lost. If we're saved, we can't be unsaved. If you're forgiven, you can't be unforgiven. If you're spiritually healed, you cannot be spiritually unhealed. Now, here's how we know this from Peter's epistle. Notice what it says in verse 24. He himself, this is, Jesus' suffering was so intentional. He himself, like nobody forced him, nobody coerced him, nobody tricked Jesus into his dying on the cross. He himself bore our sins. That speaks of his suffering being very substitutionary. That Jesus not only died for you, he died as you. He became sin, who knew no sin, so that you might become the righteous of God. Positionally, he traded places with you on the cross. Substitutionary. He was your substitute. Thirdly, we know that he suffered this in his body. That, That is a very personal suffering. Right, Very personal suffering is that he suffered it in his body. I heard a quote this weekend. I'm going to mess it up, but I'm going to paraphrase from Kirk Herbstreit talking about racial, social injustice. And he was quoting Benjamin Franklin. And he said, social justice will not be, and I'm paraphrasing, social justice will not be a reality until the people who have not suffered social injustice hurt like they have or can relate to those who have And that's not the quote, but the point is, Jesus suffered the way we should have suffered, but he took it on in his body. It was very personal to him, to him. We also see here that not only was it in his body, but on the tree. That speaks of the severity of his suffering. It was brutal, brutal. he, He was unrecognizable. Flesh destroyed his flesh, blood soaked cross crown of thorns on his head, just a brutal, severe suffering. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness speaks of uh, the redemptiveness of this suffering. That He did it to redeem us. Not only that, look what it says, uh, by his wounds you've been healed, so it's curative. He healed us of this most fatal virus that's ever been experienced by man, that the wages of sin is death, and we're cured of that in Christ. And also, for you were straying like sheep. So this is a very uh, reconciling suffering, that it brought us back to God. 
So this is a picture of his suffering. And I love the word healed here. This speaks of the fact that the saved can't be lost. I mean, we're healed. You can't be unhealed spiritually once you're healed spiritually. You can't be unforgiven once you're forgiven. You can't be unsaved once you're saved. How do we know this? Look at, look at one of the last words here in verse 25. The overseer of your souls. Overseer is a word for guardian. You have a guardian over your soul. <laughs> one who is guarding it. Right? I mean, you can find this all in Scripture. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. John wrote... Uh, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. That, that assurance of salvation. The eternal security of a believer. And Jesus says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy or thieves break in and steal. Don't store them up on earth where there's no security. There's no security on earth. I, I remember the first mission trip Tanya and I took internationally was to Thailand. and We were there two weeks. In the middle part of that trip, we were to go to a village out in Myanmar, the country of Myanmar. And so we were to leave all our luggage at the hotel in Thailand. So we put locks on our luggage, and we took the luggage, we took it to the front desk, and they had a, a closet with security written on the door. So we took that locked up luggage and put it in the security, and we saw them lock it up. Secure, right? <laughs> well, we get back from our trip, go through our luggage, and anything of value was gone. Stolen. No security. Well, you know, you know this, be it Social Security or Home Security or whatever it might be. It's not really that secure, right, on earth. But for a believer in Christ, we have this eternal security of the believer. Here's how Jesus said it in John chapter 10. Listen to this. Listen to Jesus. John 10, verse 28 and verse 29. Jesus said it like this. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Never perish. Never perish. And no one will pluck them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, He is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. One said it like this, There is not interruption to God's rule. Nothing slips through His hands. We are secure in Christ. Have you ever lost a sock in the dryer? Have you ever done that? Friday, I was wearing two socks while I was working on this message, and they're two different socks. By the way, those Bomba socks, they really are the bomb. They really are. I know that's corny and lame, but they really are. Great socks. But these are two different socks, not because I'm trying to be stylish, but because I lost the other two. It, we, we've, we've lost socks in our, our house before that come back as, as Tupperware lids that don't fit any container in the house. Has that ever happened to you? Stuff gets lost. There's no security. Things get lost. But I'm so grateful to stand here and tell you, in March of 1995, I was saved by the grace of God Almighty. And from that day to this day, I'm still saved by the grace of God Almighty. And never will I lose that salvation. And never will it be taken away. And never will I be unforgiven. And never will I be spiritually unhealed. Not because of Sam, but because of this one they call Jesus. Who came to seek and save the lost. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I love what Sam Houston said a century ago when he was saved. 
They told him, hey, you've been saved. And after they baptized him, he said, hey, God has washed away all your sins. The blood of Jesus has washed away your sins. And Sam Houston said, man, I feel bad for those fish downstream if all my sins are headed to them. Hey, you've been saved in Christ, and you will never be unsaved. The saved can't be lost. They can't be. Number three, here's the third tenet of our family tree. The saved must go to the lost. Okay? I mean, Jesus made it clear. He has sheep that are not of this flock, not of this fold. He said, I must bring them to me. Now, how's he going to do that? Look in the mirror. That's how he's going to do that. (laughs) He's going to do that through you. He's going to do that through me. The saved must go to the lost. We must go to the lost. And again, we see this in the word overseer. Because the word overseer not only means guardian, the word overseer means the one who is in charge. Right? Who's in charge at your house? Who's the one in charge? There's somebody in charge. I see husbands pointing to their wives. What's happening? Truth be told, probably the same in my house as well. But there's an overseer. There's one who's in charge. And the word overseer carries the idea that Jesus is not only Savior, right? He is a shepherd who has sheep. (laughs) But he's also Lord. Somebody say Lord. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. He is the Lord of Lords. Meaning you're not in charge, he is. Meaning you don't have the authority, he does. That's why he said in Luke, why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you to do? Why are you doing this? Jesus has called us to go to people and tell them that God is holy, that sin is damning, that hell is real, salvation is available, that death is inevitable, that Jesus alone saves and that he's coming back. See, the overseer, Jesus, the overseer of your soul is sending you because there are more souls to oversee. Jesus said, I have other sheep. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. They will listen to my voice. They will listen to the word of God. And there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. And that's what I like about this part of Peter's epistle. He doesn't say here, you've returned to the shepherd of the flock or the shepherd or the overseer of the church. But he makes it very personal. The shepherd and overseer of your souls and my souls because there's more souls out there that need to be overseen. And Jesus, the overseer, is sending us out so that those souls can know that Jesus is the good shepherd and he has laid down his life for his sheep. And it's our job to go tell them. So you say, well, why, why are we so focused on this? Why are we so passionate about equipping you to go and to tell? Remember who wrote this epistle. Now, I know the Holy Spirit penned this epistle, but what instrument did he use? He used a guy by the name of Peter. Now, this is the same Peter who at, the, who, who at Jesus' uh, trial, just before his, his, his torture, he denied Jesus three times. Okay? It's the same Peter who at the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus reinstated. And Jesus told him, hey, Peter, uh, feed my lambs. 
Hey, Peter, feed my sheep. Hey, Peter, feed or tend my sheep. I love the shepherd sheep language that Peter then uses in his epistle. I love that. Why? Because it's telling us the truth that we are to go and tell other sheep that there is a good shepherd. And our family tree is a great way to do that. It's a tool. This is not the gospel. This is a tool that will help you share the gospel. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So if you have the app on your phone, you can open it right now. If not, it'll be on the screen here in a moment. And I want to walk you through how to share the gospel using this app. And I want to do it. I want to show you this as well. We got new t-shirts. This is the first t-shirt. Okay. This is a shirt that you can get next week. You can pick them up in your life group classes next week. Uh, We will have them available next Sunday. It's got the tree on the front. See the tree right there? Our family tree. And on the back, it's got uh, forbidden, forgiven, forever. And then at the bottom, 1 Peter 2.24 at the bottom. Uh, So you're going to be a walking gospel conversation. That's what you're going to be. You've got it right here. Somebody stops you asking, what's that tree about? And you can say, hey, let me tell you what this tree is about. Or you can use it to start a conversation. You know, you've got it stuck somewhere, and so you can use it that way. Or if you're having a meal with somebody and you just want to bring it up, you can ask a question like this, in what way can I pray for you? Or, or you can say to them, well, tell me about your family. Or, or in what way can I pray for your family? Or, you know, just, hey, have you ever seen your family tree? Well, can I show it to you? And then pull the app up, and the app's real easy to use. There's about six Uh, Well, five main slides. Here's the introductory slide. You see it on the screen. You can hit the arrow or you can swipe and it takes you to the first tree. And so you say, hey, can I tell you about, or have you ever seen your family tree? Well, no. Well, let me show it to you. Okay. Well, it all began in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, the first family that God ever made. And God told them they could eat of any tree in the garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of it, you'll surely die. Well, Adam and Eve, like you and me, they ignored God. And they went and did their own thing. They disobeyed God. And as a result, their life became a mess. A mess. And the Bible says that he himself, Jesus, bore our sins. And that's what sins is. We disobey God. We make a mess of our lives. And the word for that is sin. And we've all done that. And all of our families are a mess. Every family has messes. Because all families are full of sinners. We all sin. But God loves us, doesn't want to leave us there. So he made a second tree. And you can swipe or hit the little arrow. And because he loved us, he made a second tree called the forgiveness tree. And this is the cross where Jesus died for your sins and mine. Uh, You can see that he's no longer on the tree because they buried him. But then three days later, he was raised to life. And the Bible says that anyone who believes this in their heart and calls on Jesus to be saved will be saved. Because the Bible says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then you can say something like this. If you ask God to forgive you of your sin, turn from your sin. That's called repentance in the Bible. And trust in Jesus, then you will be a part of the family of God. You'll be adopted into the family of God. You'll become a child of God. And this can become your family tree. And then you're given a promise represented by the last tree, that one on the screen there, the forever tree. You can have life now and you can have life forever. And once you present that to them, you can ask them all through. I mean, you can use it as a conversational guide and stop and ask them questions along the way. Do you understand this? Have any questions? 
When you get to the end, you can say, hey, you've heard this good news, and God wants you to talk to him. He wants you to respond. So we have a how do you respond page with a prayer on there that can help you. And then a what's next page is the last one. So use this uh, to present people with the truth, to share with them that Jesus loves them and has laid down his life for them. Listen, here's the reality. There are a lot of places we don't have to go. I don't know about you, but since this... uh, mask mandate in our county, (laughs) I tell you what, I have added about 10,000 steps to my day every single day by walking back to my car to get my mask. Every day, every place I go, I walk in, I don't have my mask, turn around, go back to the car and get my mask. You know, there's a lot of businesses we don't have to go into. They have delivery services, they have curbside pickup, all those things. But here's where we must do, what we must do, and here's where we must go. We must go to the lost. We must go. It's not an option. We must go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Do the work of an evangelist. We must go to the lost. Here's the fourth tenet, last one, and we'll wrap this up. The lost must come to the Savior. If the lost are going to be saved, they can be saved, but if they're going to, they've got to come to the Savior. So again, verse 25, look at the end of it. Uh, You were straying like sheep. That's the beginning of verse 25. You were straying like sheep. Sheep are dumb. Do you know this? Years ago, there was a, a dock hand working at a cargo ship where sheep were walking from the dock into the ship. And there was a plank, they were walking down the plank. And the dock can thought, I want to try something. So these sheep are filing, single file line, one after the other, just following each other. So he says, I want to try something. So he took a small obstacle and he put it down in front of the sheep, thinking they would just step over that. It was real small, wasn't high. Thinking they'd just step over it and keep going. But the sheep, the first one stopped that the obstacle would move. So he knelt down and picked up the sheep and put it over the obstacle and that sheep went on. And then every sheep behind it stepped over the obstacle, right? And he said, okay, he was satisfied with that. So then he picked the obstacle up and removed it. And then every sheep stopped where the obstacle used to be and stepped over it like it was there, although it wasn't there. Did I mention sheep are dumb? They're dumb right? Dogs and cats at some point will find their way back home. Sheep will never find their way back home. That's what he's saying when he says, for you were straying like sheep. You were hopeless. You were helpless. You were straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd. So what does that mean? You've been brought back. That word there really means repent. It means turn back. You've turned back. You've been brought back. You've repented, and now you're back with the shepherd. You you, you have come back to the shepherd. I think of the two thieves on the cross. You have Jesus and the two criminals on either side. And I think about that one criminal that was shouting, as I mentioned earlier, with the crowd, with the other sheep. He was being a dumb sheep. And he was crying out, if you are the Son of God, save yourself and us. Dumb sheep. Dumb sheep. Then there was another criminal who said, you know what? 
I'm going to do something a little different. So he looked at his, the other criminal and said, do you not fear God? You know, we're being punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Nothing wrong. And, th- and then he looked to Jesus and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then Jesus said something. said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, I want you to think about that criminal. I want you to think about his day, that one day. He started that day off with his, with his, with his other uh, criminal comrade. They started the day off the same way. Both of them sentenced to die by man. Both of them sentenced to death. But that repentant thief, his day ended a little differently. His day ended with the promise of eternal life from the Lord himself. So some of you have tuned in today, you've dropped by today, you've logged on today, and your day has begun with you being condemned to death by your sin. But it doesn't have to end that way. It can end differently. You can end it differently. You can end today with the promise of eternal life from Jesus Christ our Lord. And you can apply that to your life. So if you're watching today from home, worshiping with us, or in the room, wherever you might be, I I pray that you would look at your heart and ask the hard question. If you died today, right now, would you go to heaven? Or would you go to hell? If you say I'd go to heaven, why do you say that? Why do you say you'd go to heaven? If it's anything other than I have placed my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, you will not get to heaven, period. You won't. He's the only way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Praise God, there's any way at all. Jesus is that way. So I want everybody to bow your heads with me if you're in the room or not. I want to pray for you. I want to pray that today, if you're lost and you're without Christ, that your day would end a little different. Father, there are boys, there are girls, there are men, there are women who are worshiping today, either in the room or not in the room, who are lost. Lost people are all around us. I pray that you'll reveal to their heart right now that they're lost. I pray that you'll show them that they are far from you, but they don't have to be. That you, Holy Spirit, have come to them today. You are drawing them right now to be saved. You are drawing them right now to be forgiven. And Lord, I pray that they would be sensitive to that. I pray that they would open their heart and confess their sin to you and you alone. And I pray they'll put their faith and trust in Christ and be saved today. And pray, listen, if you're listening, you say, yeah, that's me. I need to do that. Here's... here's, a simple way to pray that. Believing in your heart. Belief is critical. You've got to believe this in your heart. You've got to believe the gospel. You've got to believe that Jesus really did 2,000 years ago. Die on a cross between two criminals. And just like he saved that criminal who repented, he can save you right now. So you've got to believe that in your heart. That he died, that he was buried, he was raised to life. You've got to believe that. And then you just confess your sin. Say, Father, I know I'm a sinner. 
I know I'm separated you because of sin. I believe Jesus came to bring me back, to save me, to rescue me. I turn from my sin, and by faith, I put my trust in Christ to forgive me. Come into my life and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. So look up. If you prayed something simple like that, believing it in your heart, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. So let us know about the decision you made today. If you want to talk to somebody again, please feel free to text us at 79969. You can text the name Jesus if you want to talk about having Christ as your personal Savior. You can text the word prayer and give us a prayer request or question or guest or connect. If you want to connect with us or let us know this is your first time worshiping with us, take that number, 79969, and let us know how you heard about us or the decision you made today or a prayer request. We're going to close with this takeaway today, and then we'll sing, and then we'll be done. And here's the takeaway. Jesus saves the lost, and he never loses the saved. This is so... This is critical for you to understand that Jesus saves the lost. The same Jesus who saves the lost is the same Jesus who never loses those who are saved. He doesn't lose them. They don't slip through his hands. He doesn't forget about them. This Jesus who saved the lost of the first Adam is the same Jesus who never loses the saved of the second Adam. This Jesus who saves those who are born in sin is the same Jesus who never loses those who are born again. (laughs) Once you're saved, you can't be lost. This Jesus saves the lost through his own death and never loses a save to our own deaths. This Jesus saves the lost through faith and he never loses the save to fear. If you're a believer in Christ and you're gripped with fear, you'll never be lost to that fear because Jesus never loses the save to fear. The same Jesus who saves the lost by grace never loses the saved to the grave. He never does. This same Jesus who saved the lost through his inexpressible gift, Paul says. He never loses the saved despite our inexhaustible guilt. He never loses. The same one whose name's written in heaven, who saves people because of that. He writes their names in heaven, is the same one who had his name written on the hill to save every person who would believe in and on him. Jesus saved the Ninevites from their own shedding of blood, and he never lost Noah and his family to the impending flood, because it's the same Jesus who saves the lost, is the same Jesus who never loses the saved. The same Jesus who who never loses the saved to Satan's enslaving plot is the same Jesus who saves the lost through his saving plan. We can say today that Jesus saves the lost through John 3.16 and he will never lose one single saved soul to COVID-19. He will not. Jesus, this one who came the first time to seek and save the lost, he's coming the second time to take and have the saved. Jesus saves the lost. And this same one who saves the lost is the same one who never loses the saved. So church, stand up right now. If you're at home or in the room, stand up and let's sing like we are saved.